Just joking, promise you. Um, Ron and I are different personalities. I don't know if y'all noticed that. <laughs> Ron, and he, as he said in his class, is very detail-oriented. And one of the things that, in, as I'm teaching through the conversions, uh, and it's a little more of my personality reflected, but it kind of, it, it, it's where I, I took the, the uh, focus, trying to take the focus of this class ultimately as we wrap up in the sixth week, is a focus on um, really the repentance, the change. The conversion, the what was happening in these people's lives, what was different after they became a Christian. And we don't get a big glimpse of that for all of them. Talked about Cornelius last week. So we get this picture of Cornelius being a good man. He was a giving man. He he gave alms. He obviously was praying, asking for guidance to, for knowledge of the truth. And God sends Peter to him and all of this. But how much do we know about Cornelius after that? Anybody? Not much. Not much, right? We don't know about all of his great works in the church and how he helped plant 55 congregations and I'm, and I'm just making stuff up. We, we don't get any of that about him after he becomes a Christian. And I think that's important too because I think for the majority of people today, the majority of people over the last 2,000 years, actually 1,990 years, I think, if we count back to 2033 or 29, depending on the years you want to use in the calendar adjustments. <clears throat> but basically the last 2,000 years, there's been a few people who have become Christians and who have stood out in history, right? Anybody name any? Paul. Paul, you talking about the apostle? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about next week. We're gonna talk about his conversion, and and he was before Paul. He was Saul. Saul. Okay. So we're gonna talk about Saul converting to become a Christian, and then taking on the new name of Paul, and and we get a big glimpse of his life after becoming a Christian, right? Okay. So we'll we'll get to chew on a lot of information next week about one man. And his conversion. Who else? Who else do we get a good picture of in history of being a Christian? Anybody else? Timothy. Timothy. Okay. Is, uh, so we get, we get some help along the way. Yes. We get a little bit of the picture of Timothy's life and some of the things that he did. Okay. Now think about think about post Bible. Okay. After. The Bible was written, not someone who's in the Bible. Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Okay, so there's a man who stands out for his work to um, restore biblical doctrine and break away from the control of the Catholic Church. And there's a whole lot else that I could say about that, but we'll simplify it that way, okay? So there's a man who stands out in history. There's a denomination named after him, something that he specifically said that he never wanted done, but something that happened. Um, the Lutherans, obviously. Um, so there's we, we've got there's one man who stands out in history. Any others? 
Billy Graham. Okay. So Billy Graham, a power. Yeah, we do that. But that's, I mean, that's, he was just as when Paul, and we're going to read a little bit about today, went out and was preaching the gospel. There were those who were assembling under Christ's name who didn't have it all right. Okay. And we can, we can sit here and we can break down the doctrine that Billy Graham was teaching and we can break down the, you know, him teaching the sinner's prayer and not salvation or not baptism and, and authoritatively with the Bible say he was teaching some things in error. The reality of it is under the name Christian, he is someone who stands out in history, right? And that's the point you're making. Okay. I'm surprised no one's named a couple of people that are prominent. Thank you. (laughs) I was just there waiting. (laughs) I mean, we are called Campbellites, aren't we? (laughs) All right. Yep. What about those that were prominent in, we don't say the establishment of the Church of Christ because the church was established with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, but restoration. the restoration with a lot of roots back in the Presbyterian denomination and the Baptist, the Anabaptist denominations, okay? So we have a lot of roots back in those and then a restoring to biblical truth, and, that, and that's where we, I believe, we are today. And so... Um, Anyway, as we look at these lives, we're going to try to pick out a little bit and do some wrap-up on the last week. I need to go ahead and move on, though. Um, as I said, Ron and I are, are a little different personality and teach, teach a little differently. Um, he covered a lot of ground, a lot of scripture last week, and that I appreciate greatly. Uh, if you don't, if you haven't, and you need to go back and make notes, if you were not able to write down all of the scriptures that he mentioned, I know you had some handouts too, right? Yeah. So, um, but you can go to the church website up in the upper, if you're on your computer, up in the upper right, it says lessons, and you can click on that, and you can go to the reach lessons, and it'll take you to a list of the audio recordings, and week three of, of this series is, is up there, and you can go back and you can listen to it uh, on your phone or on the computer, either one. So, um, Acts chapter 16 this morning. There are several examples of conversion that we get information about in Acts chapter 16, 17, 18, 19. Paul and his companions are traveling from city to city. The gospel spreading. Churches are being planted. Mission work is being done. The message of Jesus Christ and the gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection, that good news is spreading throughout the, the I say throughout the known world. It's starting to move out away from Judea out into other parts of the world as they're traveling uh, on into the European theater through through Turkey and then on up, up through the area of Macedonia, Greece. And so the, the message is beginning to spread. And along the way, uh, they encountered people who were eager to hear the message and they encountered people who were not so eager to hear the message, right? They encountered people who actually tried to do violence against them or sometimes actually did persecute them for their teachings and for the the way they were turning the world upside down and along the way they found people who were eager to hear and who accepted the the good news with 
with joy and accepted it quickly. Among those were Lydia and the jailer in Philippi. There was a synagogue leader in Corinth. Uh, there were some who had been taught about a baptism unto repentance that John the baptizer had been teaching. And they had been baptized, but they had not been baptized into Jesus Christ for the ultimate forgiveness of sin and be added to the church to receive the Holy Spirit. And I find it interesting that when Paul confronts those folks, one of the, at least from what we, the history that we get of it, is the question he asks them is, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? He doesn't ask them, what do you know about Jesus? He doesn't ask them all these, ask them if they received the Holy Spirit. Now, given the time frame of what was happening with these conversions and the fact that the Holy Spirit was actually coming upon people and imparting special gifts at this time, uh, that, that question would have been, uh, I don't know if I would say, maybe a lot more timely or appropriate at that time. But is it still a valid question? Is it still a valid question? I see a couple of heads nodding. I see a couple of them. If you find someone that says they're a Christian, do you ask, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? If you ask that question, someone's going to think you're from another congregation, another denomination, aren't they? Uh-huh. Yeah, that'd be a weird thing for a Church of Christ person to ask. Oh, my goodness. That's what Paul asked, of course. Again, the gifts that were being given through the Holy Spirit then were much different. Okay, we could talk about that in in this series too. There is so much to cover here in six weeks. It just we could we could have done a easily done a full quarter on just working through the conversions and acts and talking about all the things, talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts and how that uh, played into this. But turn to Acts chapter sixteen, verse thirteen for now. Acts chapter sixteen, verse thirteen. Okay. So, as we look through the first part of chapter 16, we'll see Paul taking some people with him. At the very first verse, he names uh, Timothy for one, who, who Ron mentioned a minute ago. They're traveling, and they're going through different areas. We get to verse 11, selling from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, uh, Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out on the we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house. And stay. So she persuaded us. Okay. So, a lot of these stories, much like when we go back to the Ethiopian, there's a very brief encounter that's recorded for us in this, right? Okay. Now, oh, I want to comment on something else. I'm glad to look back here. So, last week toward the end of class, you guys were having a conversation, and I actually could hear. I could hear you on the recording, Mike, and y'all, Ron had asked the question about what was obedience, and Mike mentioned living faithfully, and Ron took us back to being baptized, and both of those, I would suggest to you, are completely wrapped up 
in obedience. There is no reason to be baptized if it's not an act of faith that is obedient to God's commands. Right, you could be baptized for lots of other reasons. They're not doing you any good. There's no reason, I, well, I don't know, that, that would be a debatable point. There's no benefit eternally in living faithfully if it's not an act of obedience out of faith in God. There are people who, when we say living faithfully, we're talking about living faithfully to God's commands. That's what we're talking about. So we're talking about being obedient here, right? I would take you back and say that obedience starts, and that this is not a step. First, you do have to hear and be, and then believe. But after that, these things became become, this is an ongoing process, repentance, okay? Repentance also includes obedience. You are changing to be someone who is obedient to the Word of God. This is what we were talking about when in the week one when we started talking about what is conversion and, and we, we really land on this. It is about changing to be a God-like person. That's what a Christian, a disciple of Christ. And so obedience is wrapped up in repenting. Confessing is an act of obedience. Um, baptism is an act of obedience. Living faithfully is an act of obedience. And so obedience, the, the entire plan of salvation for the most part, is wrapped up in obedience. But as we look through this, we find that they have gone out, they're teaching the word, um, they're in Macedonia, and we get this very, very brief story with Lydia. Okay. Uh, what do we know about Lydia? At this point, what do we know about Lydia? She's a worshiper of God. Okay. That's uh, one of the points. Now, why do we know that? Well, she's a prayer. She, she, yeah. She what? Um, she's where the women gather. Okay. All right. So she's gathered where the women have come together to pray. And the interesting note there is it says that it was a place of prayer, then it says where where the women were gathered. So I uh, don't know if the place was in general and they were separated out or, or you know, all the logistics of all that. I've heard a lot of people start using this to try to define how we should do some things. And there, there's, that's, there's nothing authoritative in, in logistics here, okay? In the planning, the separation, the gathering. But they were gathered together, and on what day were they gathered? Sabbath. The Sabbath day. Not the first day of the week. They were gathered together on the Sabbath day. Why would, why would they have been gathered on the Sabbath day? Uh, Jewish tradition. Jew okay. Yeah, well, Jewish tradition, God's, God's commands. I mean, they dedicate that day to the Lord. That is the Lord's day. It's a day of rest, so you could focus on the God who created you and made you and had blessed you. And so we can make some assumptions about the people who are gathered here being Jews um, and without knowing all the rest of them. And we get one name out of the list of women who are gathered that day they spoke to, but we get the name of Lydia. Uh, what else do we know about Lydia? She has a family. She had family. Is that what you said, David? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We know she had family. How do we know that? As it mentions that the, her and her family were baptized. Okay. So they all became Christians. What else do we know about her? 
She had a business. She had a business. Yeah. So I think sometimes, and I, most of you ladies are probably much more in tune with this than, than I am, but I think sometimes we get this impression of this male-dominated society back then, more so than the male-dominated society that we still live in, but that the women were not involved in business, that they were just homemakers, housewives, mothers, but obviously we know that's not true. We see it, we see it throughout the Old Testament. We see women involved in commerce and, and leadership in different places. We see Deborah, for example. And then, of course, here in, in Acts, we find Lydia, who she has a business. She's involved in being a seller of purple. Purple was among the fine and expensive things of the day. And so we know a little bit about Lydia. And they share the gospel message. And how does she respond? She was eager to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she accepted it. And she believed what she heard. And she accepted it. And her response of acceptance was what? Baptism. Baptism. Okay. In every conversion, again, we're going to use a conversion of their lives changed. In every conversion that we've looked at, including the one that you looked at last week with, with Ron, what was part of the response of accepting the good news that was taught? Baptism. Okay. We don't get a picture in every case that there was some life-changing repentance. We don't get a, a picture in every case that there was a verbal confession. But we do get in every case that there was an act, there was an act of choosing to be baptized into Jesus Christ. Now, again, we can talk about baptism... Baptism is a whole lot of things. And one of the things that baptism is, is a public declaration of your acceptance of the gospel. So there is some confession just in the act of baptism that is involved there. But when we talk about confession, we're really talking about, you know, to your, a person's abilities at least, a verbal confession. Of course, if they're not able to speak, then that confession comes in, in other ways. So um, Lydia was a religious person. She was following God. Before that she heard the gospel message, was she saved? No. 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 How many of you have friends out there who believe in a creator, believe Jesus is his son, they're good people, but they've never obeyed the gospel and the way that it's taught and the examples that we've been looking at in Acts and that they have been baptized into Jesus Christ. Do you have, have friends like that? Okay. Are they saved? We want to think they are sometimes, don't we? We go to funerals for friends and family members who have been lifelong members of other denominations, lifelong uh, claims to, to being followers of Jesus Christ. They were good people. They've done a lot of good works in the community. They are in some church group every Sunday who never obeyed the gospel. Okay? Good religious people who when they hear the truth do not accept the complete truth. And that's a very difficult thing, I think, for most of us to, to wrap our minds around and to, to really 
to really um, process. Uh, it's something that we believe and we say until it affects, until we, until we face the, the loss of someone that we love and care about that we just know was a good person. Um, so Lydia was a good person. Lydia was a follower of God. Lydia was gathered together with other people to pray on that Sabbath day, and Lydia heard the gospel. And when she heard the gospel, there's a specific phrase in here. Let me uh, find it. Um, the last, the last sentence in verse fourteen. Somebody read that for me. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. Anybody want to explain that for me? You want to take a stab at it? You don't have to give it give the right answer, but I'm looking for the beginning of discussion. Okay. The same way as I think the Lord opens our heart today. Okay. Either through a message that we hear, a lot of times it's through opening God's Word and, and reading, and it speaks to us and what's going on in our lives. And I mean, that's a conversation as I read the Bible or as I listen to you teach. That. A lot of times we'll open our heart to either we're not living the life that we should, something we misunderstood, or a certain circumstance in our life that's going on. Okay. Okay. So. We well, might use uh, Luke 24, 45, which uses some wording similarly, talking about... Uh, uh, Jesus appearing to the disciples, then he opened their minds, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So maybe that's a part of that, opened her heart to, mm. that he gave her understanding. Yeah. Perhaps. Okay. Okay. Are, are any one of you or anyone else in this world going to be saved without God? No. Are you going to be saved without Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Are you going to be saved without the Holy Spirit of God? I didn't hear the immediate no to that. See, see, we struggle with that, don't we? And what do we not read about happening in this conversion here with Lydia that we read about with Cornelius, we read about on the day of Pentecost? What do we not read about happening right now? Falling to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we don't read about the Holy Spirit falling upon them and coming upon them in this particular encounter. Uh, there's multiple potential reasons that the Holy Spirit would have continued to uh, manifest itself in miraculous ways in some conversions versus others. Generally speaking, we believe through the teachings of the Bible that that was a method to prove, a miraculous method to prove that what was being taught and what was being said was the truth from God. That, that uh, just as Jesus performed miracles to carry proof of him being the Son of God, these miracles that are coming through the Holy Spirit are coming as a way to prove that the word that's being taught is true. In this case, we have people who believed God who obviously knew and we can only assume this because they met on the Sabbath and were down there to pray, that they knew some of, uh, I would believe, the teachings of Judaism, the Mosaic Law, uh, and, and, and the Old Testament as we view the Old Testament today. 
And so they already were expecting and looking for, if they were like the other Jews, looking for Messiah. They were expecting that to come. So we didn't have to have necessarily miracles here. Uh, Jesus was the proof of himself and his life were the proof of, of the prophecies that had already been delivered. So we don't see a, a manifesting of the Holy Spirit in that way here. Uh, let's go ahead and drop down to verse 25. In verse 25, boy, we'll just back up to 16. Paul and Silas, they've been imprisoned. Why were they imprisoned? What had they done wrong? They cast the demon out of a girl. They cast a girl. Oh, those bad guys. Is that upon? What's that, David? Is that upon? Uh, I, evidently, casting demons out of people is frowned upon if the demon-possessed person was profitable to people, right? Oh. Okay, so how was this girl profitable to others? Fortune telling. Yeah. So she was predicting this demon that was possessing this girl, was predicting the future, and there were those who were capitalizing upon her ability or the demon's ability to predict the future, and... And they were making money off of it. And Paul and Silas come along, and what do they do? Jamie already answered the question. They cast the demon out. They freed this girl from this torment of, of uh, uh, possession. She had another spirit living inside her other than her own spirit or the Holy Spirit of God. If you want to think about that for a second, okay? My example that I often use, and we, we think about that, is... I have this physical body, and I have the spirit of Tracy Musset. I have the computer programming of Tracy Musset inside my body. I, I have the, 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 the inner workings and spiritual being of Tracy that lives and resides in this body. When I became a Christian, what happened? The Holy Spirit came yeah. to live. So another spirit took up residence in this body with me. The Holy Spirit of God took up residence in this body with me. I think about it a lot like going down the road in a car. Sometimes I'm driving in the car all by myself. But, you know, sometimes there can be another person in the car with me. There's room in there for more than one, right? Um, and that's incumbent upon me if I'm riding down the road in a car with someone to actually have a conversation with them, be aware of their presence and engage them in, in that, that journey. And I think far too often as Christians, with our lack of understanding of the Holy Spirit, we're in that car, and the Holy Spirit of God is over there with us, and we're going down the journey of life, and we're not paying attention to the fact there's anybody else in the car with us. You know, we're just, there's two of us in there, but, but we're just kind of focused on, on, you know, we're going to go in our way, doing our thing, listening to our radio station, ignoring the fact that, that there's someone else there with us. Um, and I digress, I apologize for that. Um, but this girl had another spirit, and it wasn't the Holy Spirit of God who was residing in her body with her. Um, Paul and Silas free her from that. There are those who are upset. They have them thrown into prison. Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Because that's what you do when life is terrible, right? You pray and sing. Everyone doesn't do that. They're praying and singing hymns to God. 
and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. The keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. So as I understand, and I've been taught in multiple lessons, if a Roman soldier or Roman jailer or something along those lines had lost his prisoners, he was probably going to be subjected to a torturous death anyway. And so he was just going to take care of it himself and not have to go through the suffering that he might have been brought upon him anyway. So Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. We're all here. They didn't all run away. Not only did Paul and Silas not run away, the other prisoners evidently did not run away either. And then, then he, the, the keeper of the, the jail, called for light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What an interesting question to ask at that point in time. Why do you think he would have asked that question? the power of this miracle, the, the okay. earthquake, and the prisoners not running away. Why would his mind have even gone to salvation, though? Because the Lord opened his heart. Oh, the, but it doesn't say that. Yeah. Through the actions oh. of Christians. So, as we read through these conversion accounts, and again, in two weeks we're going to get to this, but we're kind of hitting on it as we go along. As we read through the conversion accounts, there's going to be things that are not mentioned in each one. But that doesn't mean that they didn't happen just because it's not mentioned in that particular account. It doesn't tell us specifically here in that part, at least up to what we've read thus far, that the Lord has opened his heart. It told us that about Lydia. It doesn't tell us that here. But obviously the Lord's at work in this, right? through the actions of the earthquake, the opening of the jail doors. But for him to have enough knowledge to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? What could have gotten him there? When, so so on, in Acts chapter 2, there were lots of Jews who were gathered together, and the, the apostles are preaching, Peter's preaching, they're hearing the sermon in their own languages, and they ask, what must we do to be saved? All right. Same question that we get asked here. What led them to ask that question back in Acts chapter 2? Hearing. They heard the word. They heard the word. Okay. What led this man to ask this question? What must I do to be saved? It's very likely that Paul did some talking since he was being guarded closely. He had heard before, something. Before midnight. Yeah, he heard. That's my point. He had heard something. At some point, whether it was previously to Paul being in prison, he had heard about these Christians and all this stuff, and had been hearing bits and pieces, or as Susan said, which I think is very likely, but again, it's only me thinking this, that Paul, along with his praying and singing, or even in his psalms that he was singing, and in the prayers that he was saying, had been saying things that were revealing the truth of the gospel. And this jailer, at some point, again, not knowing if it was that night or previous, had heard the word. For him to ask this question, what must I do to be saved, what else just happened? He had developed some belief. 
Now, miracles happened here. That certainly led him to have some belief. He also had developed some, if we, we, we could change the B to an R, <laughs> it, it, not only belief, but he had some relief that night when he found out yes. the prisoners had not all run away. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I, I've read stories that things would have happened to him, not only to him, but to his family as well. I mean, just horrible things that I've read. I don't know uh, historically how much of it all is, is 100% accurate. But So this man, though, after all this happens, he says, what must I do to be saved? In verse 31, Paul and Silas told him what? Don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself. Okay, he'd already, they already told him that. Oh, okay, we're past that. I'm sorry. He said, what must I do to be okay. saved? And they said, believe. believe. They didn't say repent and be baptized? Huh? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Oh, you and your household. That messes everything up, doesn't it? Why didn't they tell him to repent and be baptized? Why didn't he just repeat what Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? Well, he was going to get to that. Okay. Okay. All right. Paul said, Paul and, and or Silas, or they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So they spoke, or then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Now that, we see it with Lydia. We see it again here with the jailer, I think, to me is so intriguing. To all who were in his house. And so often as we go through these conversion stories, we find that when someone became a Christian, their entire household in the book of Acts, that indeed is something that is culturally different than what happens so often today, isn't it? Okay, why would that be? We're going we're gonna to leave the, the direct story of the jailer for a second. Why do you think there's a difference between their entire household became Christians when so often today it's, it's husband and wives and one becomes a Christian and the other doesn't or it's not their entire household. What's what's different with that? Well, you know, if mother had been uh, raised the young son as a Catholic and oh, I can't, I mm. can't leave that faith. You know, my mother died a Catholic and I, I've got to stay Catholic. So religious confusion and lines being drawn. I mean, I see that often. You are absolutely right. A fear of upsetting a family member, or a, and I've heard this one, and specifically with someone who come from a Catholic background. Um, I mentioned in the first week that I have a cousin back at Valiant. He's in his 60s. Faithful in attendance, faithful in offering, has never become a Christian. Been in church his entire life. 60 plus years he's been in church his entire life. Never become a Christian. His wife comes from a Catholic background. His wife, I've studied with multiple times, Lenora. Dear, wonderful, sweet person. She's scared to death that if she makes a decision to be immersed and baptized into Jesus Christ, according to what we're studying right now, and according to what we teach as our doctrine in the church, that she believes is correct. She goes, I believe what you are teaching is correct, but I believe if I do that, I'm condemning my mother to hell. And she won't do it. So there are those types of things that hold people back. She would beg you to do it. 
Well, and, and, and the thing is, is, you know, in my discussions with her is set an example for your mother on what is right, because if you don't do this and your mother never has that example and never has the opportunity to learn, she's condemned to hell already if she never makes a decision to do this. But so uh, there are, there are, there are differences in our culture, though. Families are not as tight and strong. We don't have the authoritarian figure in the families like they did back then where someone would say, no, this is what we're doing, and this is what we're all going to do. Uh, and I'm establishing the doctrine and the religion and what we believe within the... We, won't, we don't live that way. Each and every individual, sometimes even at a very young age, sadly, gets to completely choose for themselves. Uh, the choices that people are allowed to make, young people are allowed to make today, is uh, getting scary. Uh, we can go into a whole lot of political discussions about transgenderism and all other things, you know, at this point. So pe people are allowed at young ages to make their own choices now, whereas in the culture that we're reading about in Acts, it was a much more um, authoritarian uh, society within the family center. And the families were... were uh, the family nucleus was stronger, I would typically say, though. There, there were, they had their problems. There was a lot of divorce and things like that that took place back then as well. There was a lot more respect, too, in a lot of ways. To Authoritarian respect, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I think, it, I think it really boils down to the authority and the way that the, way that the society were, um, viewed the authority of, the, of the, the patriarch, typically. Or the matriarch, in the case of Lydia. So... <clears throat> all right, so they spoke the word, verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his household, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set uh, food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Okay, so as we look at the story of the, the, the jailer, he said, what do I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then what happened? Then they taught him the rest of the things he needed to know. Because if you believe, then you're going to do what? What you need to do. Which means, takes us back to the word that Ron and Mike had a conversation with at the end of class last week, <laughs> obedience, right? If you believe, you're going to be obedient. <laughs> Jesus said, not using the word belief, but actually using the word love, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my, Keep my commandments. So it's going to be hard to love someone you don't believe in, right? Yeah. So if you love him, then you obviously believe in him. And if you believe in him and you believe he is the creator, John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1, tying them together, that Jesus, the Son of God, was part of creation. You believe that Jesus, the Son of God, is our salvation and carries all authority in heaven and on earth, then if you believe that and you love him for what he's done for you, you're going to do what he says to do. The question then becomes, how much do you really believe? Too many people want to believe, well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I believe he's you know God in some way or that he was a good man, but uh, they don't believe enough of what he teaches to actually do the things that he says do. Now, one of the big challenges with people not believing enough to do what they're told to do is the fact that they haven't actually studied the Word enough to know for sure that the Bible and Jesus says, this is what you should do. 
They've heard some people say it. They haven't really internalized it and grasped it and accepted it all themselves. So believing means actually studying to know what the Bible says too. All right. So they taught him uh, and all who were in his house. And then what happened? Oh, something happened before that. He took them and took care of them. And then they went and they were baptized. And then something else happened, which happened in the story of Lydia and happens here at Eastside a lot. They all ate together. (laughs) So they had fellowship. But I think it's important because when we think about this Philippian jailer, I think it's important for us to see that when he had been taught the truth and was ready to respond to it, one of the first things he did was really an act of repentance. Instead of being the jailer and the abuser and the persecutor and the flogger, he took them and cleaned them up and nursed them and took care of them so that they were healthy enough and able to do the things that they needed to do and maybe got them cleaned up so they were clean enough to get in water to baptize them, you know? Healed, healed their stripes a little bit before they got into some water with him to baptize him. So I think really there was an act of repentance and that whole change of heart that said, I'm going to take care of you. And then he and his household were baptized. If we go on through, and again, we're, we're, we're out of time, but we could look at Acts chapter 18. Uh, we find the leader of the synagogue uh, became Christian, Acts chapter 18. Now the synagogues, just for a refresher real quick here, historically, in Jerusalem you had the temple, which was the center of worship, but each city had a center of Jewish worship in it and teaching and, and education. Each city had a synagogue. It was like their church building in each city. Even though they had the temple in Jerusalem, they had places of worship and, and religious education in each city. So when we talk about synagogues, that's what, we're not talking about a temple, but we're talking about something that we might equate more to a church building uh, and school today. So that was, the bells only rung once, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's Acts chapter 18. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, right at the beginning of the chapter, um, we find uh, folks in Ephesians, and I'm going to pick up on this one next week as we begin our, our story into Paul's conversion and backtracking to Paul's conversion. But I, I think this is an important story because this is the one that talks about uh, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. That was the question. And then they had been baptized, but they'd been baptized into John's repentance, not into Jesus Christ. So we're going to hit that one for a few minutes next week to start a class. And then we'll look at Paul's conversion to, uh, to wrap up uh, this this uh, look at the different conversions, and then and then the following week again, we're going to do some comparison and contrast of the stories and and talk about again what happens with conversion. Okay, thank you.